Warren Jeffs has been hit with yet another court judgment. Next on Polygamy, what love is this? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. On September 5th of 2017, just a few weeks ago, a judge in Utah ordered Warren Jeffs to pay $16 million to Alyssa Wall for his part in forcing her into a marriage with her 19-year-old cousin. She was just 14 years old, and it is against the Utah law for cousins to get married. At least up first cousins, first right. and second. Yeah. yeah, third cousins. It's legal. It seems odd that in this lawsuit, neither Warren Jeffs nor the FLDS Church uh, defended themselves. Well, oh, <laughs> Warren Jeffs, of course, controlled the church. He has, and he still does, and the lives of its members. He controlled their marriages. And he ordered the marriage between Alyssa and her cousin, even though he knew she was terrified. We quote this from an article about the lawsuit in the Salt Lake Tribune. Wall's attorney, Alan Mortensen, said, The ruling allows for him and Wall to collect the money from Jeff's or the church. He described pursuing FLDS assets in various states as well as Mexico and Canada. It's so the church feels the pain of what their doctrine has been as to the rape of young girls, Mortensen said. Now, Alyssa claims, and I believe what she says, that she has lingering effects, including yeah. trust issues, sure. uh, because of her forced marriage and treatment of uh, the treatment that she received from both her husband and from Warren Jeffs, the church leader. She had testified against Warren Jeffs at the trial, his trial in St. George, when he was charged with an accomplice to rape, and he was convicted by a jury in that trial. But not surprising, the Utah Supreme Court overturned his conviction. But it was Texas that brought Jeffs to justice. He was convicted in 2011 for child sexual assault and is now in prison with a sentence of life plus 20 years. Now, Alyssa Wall issued a statement after the ruling of this $16 million judgment was handed down by the judge. We quote part of her statement. Yeah. The judgment handed down by the court is a big step forward in the fight for a strong and unmovable statement to the world that no one, especially children, can be sexually exploited and abused in the name of religion. Today is a victory for many thousands of victims of abuse. Many of us have stood up in our own way to fight for justice and further the protection of children. And, and, and as I read this particular article, I thought, well, really there is no real victory until our politicians and our courts and our legal system acknowledges the abuses that polygamy groups incubate and cause abuses that are inherent in the polygamy group systems. There is no real victory until polygamists and Mormons realize that God did not speak to Joseph Smith and God never required polygamy in exchange 
exchange for eternal life. Elissa Wall did get a victory, and justice was served when Warren Jeffs was convicted and when Winston Blackmore and James Oler were recently uh, convicted in Canada and found guilty of practicing polygamy. But it is not a victory when the polygamists continue to break the laws, when they get by with nothing but a hand slap for bilking taxpayers out of $12 million in their food stamp fraud scheme. And it's not a victory when children continue to be indoctrinated with the lie that God requires polygamy. <clears throat> and it's not a victory until every single female is set free from abuses, the inequality, and humiliation they must suffer as plural wives. Of course, we are happy for Alyssa Wall winning this lawsuit, and we do hope that Warren Jeffs at some point will experience sorrow, deep humiliation, and complete repentance for all the God ugliness that he has committed against other human beings. Just for instant, or just for instru- yeah. interest, interest, we thought we would share some of the comments of the readers of the Salt Lake Tribune article that uh, was covered in this news item. You know, these comments come from uh, September 6th of 2017. The Lord will either remain silent or a fiery revelation will be forthcoming that sounds suspiciously like Warren Jeffs, whose phony contrived King James English sounds suspiciously like Joseph Smith's. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've read any of Joseph uh, Warren Jeffs' writings, <laughs> that's what exactly what he does. Very contrived. Another comment from a reader said, I wish every sexually abused young girl in this church could receive a similar settlement. Yeah. And that's what I would wish what could happen. Hit them where it hurts. Huh? Yes. Meanwhile, half the st- another one is, meanwhile, half the state of Utah sings hail to the prophet on Sundays to honor a 30-year-old predator that himself took the innocence of two 14-year-old girls under the guise of religion. And we talk about that on in so many shows that you know the foundation is yeah. Joseph Smith and he did these things. That's right. Uh, and while most people, except polygamists, of course, believe that justice has been done in Alyssa Wall's case, there still remains hundreds, even thousands, of unnamed silent victims who will never see justice in the Utah courts when it comes to their nightmare in polygamy. During interviews of plural wives, some have commented that it's better to be a plural wife of a godly man in a polygamy group than to be a woman on the outside and be a prostitute because that's what she would be if she wasn't a plural wife. Well, this is called brainwashing and that's what keeps women in polygamy. The fact that they see women as having only two options, plural marriage or prostitution, is a terrible outlook on, on womanhood. But it does come from some of the redundant sermons that early Mormon prophets and presidents gave. We have a couple to share with you. Yeah, this one from Orson Pratt. This law of monogamy or the monogamic system laid the foundation for prostitution and the evils and diseases of the most revolting nature and character under which modern Christendom groans. So there's, they're blaming monogamy here, you can see this, for, for prostitution, for evil, yeah. and for diseases. They're yeah. blaming monogamy for that, okay, and, and, the, and in Christendom. Yeah, in Christendom. 
This one from Brigham Young. This monogamic system which now prevails throughout all of Christendom and which has been so fruitful a source of prostitution and whoredom throughout all the Christian monogamic cities of the old and new world until rottenness and decay are at the root of their institutions, both national and religious. So again, they're taking monogamy and blaming the problems of society on it. Yeah. And they're, uh, these are only two <laughs> of the dozens and dozens uh, more sir, uh, remarks made by, by church leaders where they link prostitution with monogamy. But they contradict, directly contradict what God said because he said in 1 Corinthians 7, 2 that monogamy was, was to be sustained to keep the spouses from seeking sex from other sources. Prostitution is not the spirit of monogamy as they claim. And to justify their polygamous behavior, some people today continue to parrot what those polygamous men said. Now, we find it interesting that Brigham Young and Orson Pratt, whom we quoted, would link monogamy with prostitution in light of the fact that early pioneer Utah was bristling with prostitutes. And this would be while both Orson Pratt and Brigham Young were here uh, ruling and reigning over the, the Mormons. Now, there were powerful political fights and arguments that took place to either legalize or prohibit or legislate the presence of the prostitutes. Now, I've been reading a book, and it's entitled Polygamy, Prostitution, and Power, and it uh, covers Salt Lake City, 1847 through 1918, written by Jeffrey Nichols. It's about the prostitution activity in early Mormon polygamous Utah, mm. and specifically Salt Lake, but of course it covers other areas, yeah. and what the Mormons did and didn't do about it. It's amazing, given that Brigham Young was the reigning power during many of the years covered in this book, yet he couldn't or didn't remove the prostitution. <laughs> And according to Mormon philosophy, polygamy was supposed to be the answer to stop prostitution. If that were really true, why did Utah have so much of it side by side with all its polygamy? And of course, this book covers more than we'll ever be able to cover on our show. But we do want to share some of the information from the book about prostitution and polygamy in Mormon Utah. That's our yes. first quote. First quote, and it's on page 13. In August of 1852, Apostle Orson Pratt delivered a lengthy public defense of the practice that established the basic Mormon position for the next four decades. He stressed that God commanded plural marriage, obligating Mormons to follow the practice or risk denying the faith. He emphasized the sinful nature of the outside world, or Babylon, from which the saints had so recently escaped. Babylon abounded in sexual sins that plural marriage could prevent. Prominent among those sins was prostitution. This line of reasoning appeared again and again in Mormon sermons. So they repeatedly contrasted <clears throat> Mormon polygamy with Babylon, which they complained clung to monogamy. monogamy which they claimed caused a surplus of women who could not find husbands, and not finding husbands virtually forced them into prostitution. 
Strange logic. It's quite nonsensical, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Now, now, many polygamists today continue to teach that false information. One woman from the FLDS in Canada just a few years ago expressed that precise way of thinking. She said that she could choose between being a plural wife or being a prostitute. That was her choices. Now, most people are aware that prostitutes exchange a sexual favor for money. Polygamous women exchange a life of sexual surrender and abuse for the promise of eternal life. They don't see it that way, of course, but the bottom line is they believe polygamy saves and the natural outcome of polygamy is sex and lots of it for the male. <laughs> now, we want to stimulate some critical thinking here, and so we ask the question, how can a loving God offer eternal life in exchange for sex? Find it, the answer in the Bible, please, and then tell us where you found it. Yeah, where we can see it. <laughs> uh -huh. I would like to know where that's at. Yeah. Now, try as they might, the Mormon sermons did not convince a lot of people. We read this. Yeah, page 14. Mormon arguments for plural marriage convinced few outside of their world. Polygamy offended and outraged many non-Mormons who claimed it hurt the family, caused physical harm, and enslaved or prostituted women. Okay, so we're going to see some of the arguments that took place back and forth between pro-polygamists and anti-polygamists yeah. and the prostitution and all of that that's going on in this time in Utah. In 19th century Utah, there were many people that were against polygamy. They refused the Mormon claims that polygamy was a legitimate religious practice. Some of them accused Mormon leaders of practicing polygamy merely to gratify male lust, which is the same deadly sin that fuels prostitution no. so we see <laughs> so we see lust. through the years that prostitution and polygamy have been compared one with the other now the mormons said that the prostitution that prostitution was the alternative to polygamy the non-mormons said prostitution was equally uh, comparable to to polygamy. Non-Mormon women believed that polygamy was an unwanted prison for Mormon women and they would reject it if they could. In fact, there were many Mormon women who were not only shocked and appalled by plural marriage, but many of them actually left Mormonism because of it and even became activists working to get the practice abolished. Then there were the suffering, neglected, abused, and lonely plural wives. Many suffered in silence but some not so silent in their sufferings." Another quote. Yeah, from page 17. For example, Abraham H. Cannon described an ugly scene between his uncle, Angus Cannon, and Angus's wife, Amanda. We found Aunt Amanda, who was in her ungovernable rage, said she was going to the U.S. Marshals to have Uncle Angus arrested for marrying Dr. Maddie Paul Hughes. Joseph Marion Tanner virtually abandoned his second wife, Annie, who was forced to take household work to support their children. So, of course, there's a lot of story behind yeah, these quote, one. but these polygamist homes really were not scenes of peace and harmony. In fact, harmonious polygamist homes are a myth, and they're devised by those who refuse to admit that anything could be wrong with Joseph Smith's oddball revelations. Looking at what Joseph Smith did, by commanding plural marriage, he actually prostituted God's free gift of grace. Eternal life was in exchange for plural sexual partners. 
That's prostitution, exchanging something of value for sex. Mm. But the author of this book noted that several times plural marriage had been compared to prostitution. Again, we quote. From page 23. From the earliest hints of polygamy, some critics had likened the two practices. John C. Bennett, an early apostate, charged that Mormon leaders kept secret orders of prostitutes. Sidney Rigdon interpreted Joseph Smith's murder as divine retribution for contracting, quote, a whoring spirit. Several women who rejected overtures of plural marriage were denounced as harlots. Abraham Cannon's wife, Mina, demanded a divorce and told him that she considered herself in herself in disgrace every day that she lived with me in polygamy and she would as soon be as soon be a prostitute as a plural wife so you interesting you can see that this whole idea is just wound up in these uh unions and plural marriages and and the men fighting for it and the women hating it and so on there were many Mormon willing, women who were willing, however, to accept Mormon polygamy, and then they would encourage other Mormon women to do the same. Some people referred to them as tools of the Mormon priesthood, whose business was to lure young girls to destruction. Well, in these days, it would be called a pimp. That's true. (laughs) Really. Elizabeth Durfee was one of those women who would push younger girls into polygamy. And in turn, the Deseret News used prostitution to discredit the critics of polygamy. So the early Mormon church, you know, so here they are fighting back and forth on this. And uh, the early Mormon church did take uh, its moral code very, very seriously. It still does. And sexual sin was considered among the worst of violations and was the most common ground for disfellowshipping members in the 19th century Mormon church in Utah. During that time, prostitutes came to Utah and put down roots. Brothel districts were established in various towns throughout Utah. Even downtown Salt Lake City boasted a large and protecting brothel district. And of course, when the railroad connected Utah with the rest of the country, all sorts of Gentiles flooded into Utah, including professional prostitutes. When Camp Douglas was established in 1862, prostitutes gravitated to that area. One soldier who was in the penitentiary managed to get some time with a prostitute, claiming she was his wife and ended up making a joke at the Mormon's expense. Yeah, I love this story. A well-dressed female visited the penitentiary with the view of having an interview with her purported husband. General Connor replied that the soldier had no wife. It's that old strumpet Mrs. Hall. Next day, the warden approached the prisoner with a view of reproving him. The prisoner replied, Mr. Warden, you introduced her as my wife, and I understand that you Mormons have a way of marrying by proxy. And I accepted the ceremony. (laughs) (laughs) It's good for one, it's good for the other. In 1870, a prostitute madam by the name of Kate Flint operated a bordello uh, or brothel in Corin, in a city in Box Elder County, which was near the Union Pacific and the Central Pacific Railroads. A newspaper editor in Corin bragged that the town had no Mormon residents, not even one, making it probably more likely that prostitution could thrive there. But by April of 1872, Kate Flint and a few other prostitutes moved their business from Corin to Salt Lake City and kept a house of prostitution on Commercial Street in the downtown Salt Lake City area. (laughs) We quote what happened. 
The police arrested Flint and another Madam Cora Conway and the women working in their brothels on the 28th of August, 1872. Justice Clinton found Flint and Conway guilty of keeping houses of prostitution and fined each $15. The city attorney, however, noted that previous fines had not served to drive the women out of the city and asked for abatement of their premises as nuisances. Clinton sent police officers to the brothels where they systematically demolished their furnishings. A crowd gathered to watch the demolition. The Corinne Daily Reporter, a paper often harshly critical of Mormons, claimed that among the spectators, Brigham Young, the chief manager of prostitution, stood looking on grandly, exempt from havoc, touching the many stinking bagnios over which he, which he is ruler. So, so they're accusing him of being a ruler over houses of prostitution or bordellos, that's what that word bagnos means. So they were accusing Brigham Young who ruled his home that was <laughs> bursting with many plural wives as ruling over a house of prostitution. Was because he had 54 wives, was it? He had 56. 56, 56 wives. Well, 55 or 56, depending on who you're <laughs> listening to. Okay. But because his religion sanctioned sex with many wives and prostitution sanctioned sex with many different men. <laughs> no difference except one was religious, the other wasn't. In one, the man got the variety. In the other, the women did. Oh boy. Now, needless to say, this caused quite a bit of fodder for the pros and the cons of prostitution in wild pioneer Utah. A few men threatened to set fire to the street, and some believed that prostitution, if it wasn't a positive good, was at least a necessary uh, evil. The Deseret News rejected that reasoning and congratulated the police action against the prostitutes. So there was a lot of back-and-forth rhetoric associated with the destruction of the madam's personal properties. Kate and Cora had lost thousands of dollars worth of furniture, bedding, and tableware in the demolition. Their homes were unlivable, and of course their livelihood was temporarily cut off. But this did not stop the madams. Kate Flint was back in business by December and remained there for 15 more years. Tough gal. <laughs> yeah. And both Flint and Conway took advantage of the animosity between the Mormons and the Gentiles. They sued Justice Clinton and the police for destruction of their property. Orson Whitney reported that their lawsuit represent the battle between good and evil. <laughs> Kate Flint and her lawyer, Robert Baskin, complained that she could not get a fair trial before any Mormon jury. She claimed that the LDS Church targeted her because he, she had incurred its displeasure and hostility. She also complained that the police had destroyed her personal property, including her underwear, <laughs> and had stolen or destroyed $1,000 in cash. Well, the result of this lawsuit is extremely interesting. In March of 1875, the court ruled that the police warrant to destroy their property was defective. And it drew a point of comparison between prostitution and plural marriage. Now, please remember, this information comes from the book. We're not stating our personal opinions here. We quote what the court determined regarding the destruction of the property because they were prostitutes. Yep. If Kate Flint kept a house and it was proved that 50 men frequented it for purposes of illicit intercourse and process could be issued and her furniture and household goods can be broken up, therefore, 
The same could be done with, say, John Smith, who might have in his house 12 women with whom he had illicit sexual intercourse. It would not matter whether or not he claimed that those women were his wives. The law allowed a man but one wife, and had a justice of the peace the right to act as in the case of Kate Flint, it would not alter the situation if Kate Flint claimed that the 50 or more men visiting her house or were her husbands. So, yeah. so that, that's where they drew the, the, the line. There really is not a lot of difference because no, it's true. both illegal. Prostitution's illegal and yeah. plural marriage was illegal. In other words, it was both illegal. And Conway and, uh, and Flint won their lawsuit. Uh, Flint won $3,400 and Conway $2,600 and the city council had to appropriate the funds to settle the claims. And by the way, I might make mention very quickly here, the show we did on Brigham Young, where it said that the, the madam purchased his carriage and then yeah, put that's her, right. that was Kate Flint. That was, Kate. That was the okay. same woman here. <laughs> so, so Brigham Young got a taste of uh, the prostitution's response there. And I, but I find it interesting thinking about all this, that um, all this took place while Brigham Young was reigning and ruling in Utah, and he didn't, couldn't seem to do anything about uh, the prostitutes. But we're going to end with a quote that we find from page 31 of the book. And this whole thing is fairly hip hypocritical, right? I think I mean, so. It's mm -hmm. so, so terribly hypocritical. And, uh, anyway, anti-polygamy activists claim that even a Mormon even Mormon women, oh, I'm sorry, even a Mormon woman grew tired of church leaders distinguishing polygamy from prostitution since the systems are entirely similar. <clears throat> the only difference being that one is practiced under the cloak of religion and the other is given its proper status and acknowledged to be a sin. So that <laughs> so kind a man of... living with 12 wives, uh, that's not prostitution even though no, it's illegal. No, because God said to do it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Under the guise of religion. And you know, you'll find that in section 132 yeah. where where Joseph Smith said he could do it, but the woman couldn't. Yeah. And if the woman was was found to be untrue and 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 you know having other partners, yeah. then she was um, she was the sinner. And like you've said so many times, it was illegal everywhere they were at. Yes, it was. Yeah. And every place they went, So it, it was, was just religious prostitution. It was religious prostitution. Yeah. That's what it is. Now, so you, if you went to a um, polygamist home today, and so many wonderful people believe that they're serving God by living polygamy. Mm -hmm. They don't believe that that's what they're doing. But, and that's not what we're calling them all prostitutes either. But we're saying when you look at the letter of the law, um, there really isn't any difference. And God never, ever, ever prescribed polygamy. And of course, we don't have time to uh, go through the entire book, but we do suggest if you're interested in this topic that uh, this book will fill the bill. Um, <laughs> it's full of all kinds of anecdotes and facts yeah. about early Mormon polygamy and prostitution and the Mormon power behind some of it. But by the end of the day, we, all we can say is none of this is needed because Jesus is the answer to the problem of polygamy and of prostitution because Jesus is all anyone needs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So that's a very interesting book. It, it was had lots and lots of facts. And, and again, we just ask everybody, check things out. Find out what God really teaches, not what people say he teaches. Thanks, Earl, yeah, thank very you. much.
Fascinating. It, it is. You know, polygamy does not solve the problem of prostitution, as so many polygamists have made claim. God says monogamy will do that, and God instituted monogamy, and Jesus confirmed it. Then Joseph Smith comes along and contradicts God. He even contradicted himself in his rewrite of the King James Bible, because Joseph Smith never changed those passages on monogamy. But the issue for eternal life is not polygamy or Mormonism or Joseph Smith, or the Kingstons, or the FLDS, or any other man thing. Eternal life was purchased on the cross by Jesus Christ, and all who will accept it and trust Him exclusively, and only Him, will receive celestial glory in all its fullness as a gift of God's grace. Our sins won't keep us out of heaven. It's our rejection of the remedy that keeps people out, and Jesus is the remedy. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.